Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we were uh, had planned on only going seven weeks on the seven end time events, but there's too much left to cover. The more I got into it, the more that I wanted to uh, share, and so we're going to spend another couple of weeks uh, on that coming, uh, coming up. There's a, a great phrase that I've heard, it's not unique to me, but it's a great phrase that I hold on to, and it's this, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. There are a lot of things that I don't know. But I know who knows, and that's all I need to know. And there is no other name but, but Jesus. We don't know every detail of our life here on earth. Uh, it's interesting. I read a lot of biographies and, and different things. And if I read a review, people will point out the, the uh, inconsistencies within their own biography or autobiography. It's hard for us to even remember every detail of our lives. But God does, and God knows every detail of our life. And not only does he know the past, but he knows what's going on in our lives now. And he's working in ways that maybe we haven't even seen yet, but he's working. And he's going to bring about our good. And if we haven't seen the good from the troubles, trials, and tears that we're facing, it's because God's not done working yet. He has good for you. His whole plan uh, for salvation and eternity is to bless his children. Um, excuse me if I repeat myself sometimes, but I, I honestly don't remember what group I say what to. And just this past week, I spoke to three different groups. And so if I said this on a Sunday morning before, I, I apologize if I'm repeating, repeating myself. The other thing that I'm going to apologize for is whatever I was going to repeat, I just lost as I was giving explanation to that. And the Lord said, stick to your notes, brother. Stick to your, your notes. It was good too, it really was really was. I hate when that happens. I hate when that happens in front of a whole church of people when you just stand up here and you have no idea what you were going to say. I hate that. I hate that. All right. Thanks for coming. <laughs> All right. Revelation 21.1. Revelation 21.1. We're going to do verses 1 through 8. Just going to walk through each verse. Uh, not a lot of fancy, you know, tricks or preaching tricks or anything like that. Just verse by verse, give a little explanation to it. Um, that's when I realized there was so much more that we needed to talk about and learn about together. Just by looking at these eight verses wasn't going to be enough to uh, talk about the culmination of, of all of God's plan. So verse 1 says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So new heaven, new earth, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Uh, Joe, I have a picture slide. Don't worry about that, because I forgot I had these slides too. There's a lot that I've forgotten. 
Um, so here's what's happening. At the end of chapter 20 was the great white throne judgment, which we talked about last week. So awesome was that scene that the heavens and the earth fled God's presence. So heaven and earth as we know it are going to be destroyed because heaven and earth have been corrupted by sin. And so what we're experiencing in this world and in this life is a result of sin, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. And so God has to destroy this earth and these heavens in order for it to be heaven, in order for the effects of sin to be done away with. And so he's going to give us a, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, God originally created the earth uh, for mankind, for earth to be uh, man's home. But we know what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. Curses came into their life and, on, and to the earth that earth would no longer be suitable for God's people for all eternity. And I just remembered what I was going to say, and watch how seamlessly I transition into this, that earth was no longer suitable for humanity because God wants humanity to be blessed. Okay, so the first verse in Psalms 1-1 is blessed. The first sermon that Jesus preached was the Sermon on the Mount, and the first word were blessed, blessed. God wants us to have the blessings that he has in store for us. But whatever blessings we receive in this life pale in comparison to what he has in store for us. Why? Because this earth is broken and in a very real sense, we're broken. We've been saved by Jesus, but we're still not all that God wants us to be. So when we get to heaven, he's going to give us a new body, a glorious body, and that is good news. No longer are we going to have to put up with these bodies. We're going to have the perfect body that won't face sin or, or uh, uh, decay is a little strong, although I feel like my body is decaying sometimes. But uh, none of that because God has our best in mind for us for all eternity. And one of the big takeaways from this today is this. Don't focus so much on what's going on on earth today. Focus more attention on what's going on in heaven and what God has in store for us. If you think this is the best that is in store, then you don't understand heaven. If you think this is the worst, then you don't understand hell. See? God has good things in store for his people. So he's, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And not just sequentially new because the old has passed away, but he's going to create a new earth that's new, fresh, never before seen. We are going to experience something in a new heaven and the new earth that we've never experienced before. That's what God has in store for us. Keith Green, who was a, a songwriter and singer uh, who died uh, too, too soon, such a gifted artist, he wrote a song that said, God created earth in seven days. He's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. So the beauty of the earth, imagine what it's going to be like, what God has in store for us. There'll be no longer any sea. I'm not sure if that means water as much as it means as the sea represents chaos and disorder of this world. Remember, the beast came out of what? The sea. The nations, the, the, the tumultuous sea. 
and all that's in it, this brokenness of this earth, that's going to be gone. That's going to be gone. It's not just another heaven and another earth, but it's going to be new and better than anything that we've ever seen before. The new heaven and the new earth will no longer be broken because of sin. Verse 2, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. John sees something else that must have been hard to describe. Whatever he's describing in Revelation as he writes, it, whatever he saw was greater than anything he could put down on, we'll say, pen and paper. Because it was just mind-blowing what he was seeing. His vision was not just like of one painting on an easel. It was more encompassing all around him. And everywhere he looked was, was something else. He wasn't focusing on just one picture like this. It was, just, it was just awesome all that he was seeing. And so now he sees heaven and earth had passed away as we know it. Now coming down is not the cities that we know that are broken and evil, but a city that's holy and perfect, the new Jerusalem coming down. In the Bible, city represents man's ways. Man's attempt to establish autonomy, to be self-governing, to live without God. In the Bible, cities are places of arrogance and, and violence. But the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem isn't created by man's hands, but by God's. You see the difference? Man's cities are constantly trying to get to God, and they're corrupt to the core now, God has something in store for his people, a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, comes from his hands and from his heart, a city made from God. It's a gift of grace. Now, in the city, a city includes relationships and activity and responsibility and unity and uh, socializing and cooperation. But unlike the evil cities of the present earth, the perfectly holy people in the new Jerusalem will live together in perfect harmony. How many, now this isn't a political statement, but it's just a fact. How many remember Times Square in New York before the Giuliani administration? Remember how bad that was? Porn shops and filth and everything you can imagine. And then he came and cleaned it up and it became more of a tourist center. But Times Square, someone had said you could look out of the uh, window and see all of the Ten Commandments being broken at one time in Times Square. It represents a city made by God's hands, or by people's hands, I mean. Everything that people say is necessary to be free. But there's a city that's coming, the new Jerusalem made with God's hands and from his heart for his people for all eternity. It is not corrupt. It will never be corrupt. Hebrews 11.10 speaks of Abraham, for he was looking forward to a city with the foundations whose architect and builder is God. God. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The dwelling of God is with men, which was God's idea and plan all along. When they were in the Garden of Eden, God spoke with them. They had close personal relationship, 
fellowship together. Sin broke that. Salvation restores it in a sense, but not in its completion. The relationship will be completed when we get to heaven someday. That the presence of God will fill every corner of the universe. Now, I, I didn't even know how to relate this, to be honest with you, because some of these concepts are beyond what I could ever ask or imagine. Have you heard that before? But whatever is the most joyous moment of your life, for me it would be when my children were, were born. Um, I couldn't explain it. Dor was still on the, 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 the gurney when Joseph was born, and I was already thinking, wow, I can't wait to have another one. Not the smartest thing I've ever said. And I've said a lot of dumb things in my life, and all God's people said, amen. amen. And remember, this is Pastor Appreciation Day, all right? I've said a lot of dumb things. But so awesome was that moment that you didn't want it to ever leave, and you kind of wanted to live in that moment. Heaven's going to be even greater than that for all eternity. For all eternity. It's going to be un. Believable, beyond anything we could ask or imagine. Again, do you see my point in there? We, we focus too much attention on earth and what's going on on earth and not enough attention on what's going on in, in heaven and what God has prepared for us. He will be with us. We will be his people. Uh, he will be our God for all eternity. We will have fellowship with God. We will see him as he is. We will be changed. We will receive our glorified body. We will worship him. We will serve him. There's a, a, a hymn writer named Fanny Crosby. If you've ever heard of Fanny Crosby, then if you've heard of her, you know that she was blind. She was blind from birth. And she wrote this song, My Savior First of All. When my life work is ended, and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and his smile will be the first to welcome me. Through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of the ages, I shall mingle with delight but I long to meet my Savior first of all. Fanny Crosby said one time that she was thankful that she was born blind because the first person she would ever see would be her Savior, Jesus. See, there is a person that understood the glories of heaven and how it sustained her in this life. I'm going to keep kind of repeating the same concept, but the more we look to this life and this world, the more discouraged we're going to be. The more we look to eternal life and what God has in store for us, the more encouraged we're going to be. Because in this world, it's going to be destroyed. We're just passing through. We're not citizens of this kingdom. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. And every kingdom will someday pass away, but there is a kingdom that will last for all eternity. We're going to be electing a new president in just a few weeks, and I will thank God when it's all over. But we are not electing a new king because our king is not elected. He can't be impeached. He's not going to resign, and he's going to reign forever and forever. 
He'll do nothing for his own glory, but give glory to the Father. The Father will give glory to the Son. The Holy Spirit will give glory to the Son. And we will live in that blessedness for all eternity. The more we look at this life, the more we look at this life for all eternity. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. You've heard this. Verse 4. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Tired of death. Tired of it. Throughout the COVID, I think I've been involved in eight to 10 different funerals, not necessarily directly related to COVID, but my heart went out to the families because of what they had to endure through it. And one of the the best and one of the hardest parts of a death within a family is the support of the people. And I know when you've lost someone you love, it's, it's difficult to give back. We, you want to give back to those that are giving to you and you just can't. And you look at it and say, I can never thank you enough for the support that you've given. You, you understand that. And one of the best things is, is to know that you have the support of so many people. So now picture this throughout the COVID time where I did a graveside that was only immediate family was allowed. There was only four people there. And it was right in the middle of everything. We couldn't hug or anything. And I so much just wanted to hug this family that was so deep in mourning. But here was the good news I was able to share. There's no COVID in heaven. There's no COVID in heaven. And that's the good news that we share. This past week, our uh, dear friend Sue and Marcus, Sue's husband, Marcus's dad, went home to be with the Lord. And my heart broke when I heard it. We prayed last Sunday, if you remember. He went home to be with the Lord. Our neighbor across the street was diagnosed with cancer again. Um, I had talked to her husband less than a month ago. We were mowing the lawn together, and we stopped and talked in the middle of Dutch Mill, as only Franklin Township people can do. And uh, he said that it came back, and they were hopeful. Less than a month later, she was gone to be with the Lord. And my heart broke. My heart broke. But there's coming a day. That's what we hold on to, where there'll be no more tears. Because death and mourning and crying and pain, they represent the old things. God's got something new and better in store for us. He will wipe away every tear. We will not enter heaven crying. There's a movie, I don't know if it was in the 90s or early 2000s, called uh, A League of Their Own. Ever seen that? It was about a women's baseball league. And what was the fav famous line? Whether you've seen the movie or not, you might know this line. There's no what? There's no crying in baseball, Tom Hanks says. Tom Hanks was the manager, kind of a gruff. There's no crying in baseball. I don't know if that's true or not, but here's what I do know is true. There is no crying in heaven. There is no crying in heaven because he will wipe away all of the tears and everything that's caused us pain will be no more. Isn't that the good news? Verse 
5. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There were some things that John saw that they told him not to write in the book of Revelation. There are some things that are just unknown. This, Jesus said, write this down, because this is trustworthy and true. I'm making everything new. What is, God, what is Jesus doing now? He's interceding for the saints. He's building his church that the gates of hell will not prevail, and he's preparing a place for you. Isn't that awesome? My, my niece is uh, just gifted in design and art, and she can make things, but, but she can see things that the normal person can't see, and then she can make it happen. And you look and you say, oh, my goodness, where did you get this from? Well, God gave her that gift. And when we see what she created, we're in awe. You know where I'm going. Can you imagine when we get to heaven and we get to our place and the mind of God and the hand of God and the heart of God created it just for us? Can you imagine how awesome that's going to be? No, I can't either. Exactly. It's just, it's just blown my mind. And I've been thinking about this for a while now. I just can't wrap my mind around it. He's making all things new. Then he says in verse 6, it is done. I am the alpha and what? Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Jesus is the first and the last. It's his story. He started history. He will end it when he's ready and in God's time. To those who thirst, he will give drink. To those who are thirsty from the spring of life, from the water of life. Water symbolizes life. Now it represents eternal life. I, was, I had gone through being very sick uh, for several months, and at one point I got so dehydrated that I passed out. And because I was so sick, I couldn't eat or anything, and I passed out, hit my head, laying on the floor going, well, this is quite a predicament. Door was at work. I was at the house by myself. Thankfully, I was able to get up off of the floor, and I debated, well, should I wait to tell Dory or should I call her now? And I heard a voice from heaven say, if you don't call her now, you're going to be in trouble. And I don't mean health-wise. I mean marriage-wise. So anyway, I'm pretty sure it was a voice from heaven. I called her, and she took me, and the doctor said, listen, you can go without food for longer than you can go without water. You have to drink. You have to drink. Do you know what the soul longs for? That thirst within our soul is for God because we're created in his image. C.K. Uh, Chesterton said this, every man that goes through a brothel, goes to a brothel, is actually looking for God. And what he meant was there's a void in all of our lives and we try to fill that void with other people or other things, but none of them will satisfy the deepest hunger and the deepest thirst of our life. But Jesus is the water of life. He will quench that thirst and not only will he quench it for now that we can live a life of being satisfied with what God has given us as the water of life, but this water of life will be available to us for all eternity. Everything that we will ever need is found in Jesus Christ. Verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit all of this, 
and I will be his God and he will be my son. Overcomer. 1 John 5, 3 through 5, same John that wrote Revelation, a different book. This is, the, this is love for God to obey his commands. Now listen, and his commands are not burdensome. Not burdensome. When you've served God for any length of time, you recognize that his commands are not burdensome, they're a blessing. The thou shalt nots are for our own protection and provision because he loves us. Just like we told our children, don't do that. Don't touch that hot stove. It's not because we were against them. It's very much because we were for them. And you begin to recognize that his commands are not burdensome. They're, they're a blessing. They're a blessing. And the more we keep his commands, the better off we're going to be. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, he will inherit all of this. So who are the overcomers? Those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord, Savior, and King, and those that live for him. And Hebrews says, die trusting in him. They are the overcomers. They are the ones that receive all of the blessings that God has for them. That we will, that he will be my God, and I will be his son. We're adopted into the family of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Blessings that God has in store for us. Last verse, verse 8. But, it's a word of contrast, right? The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Seven verses of the wonder of his blessings and one verse of the warning. The warning. Because heaven is not for everyone. Heaven is for those that have overcome. Heaven is those that have accepted Christ and live for Christ. Now look what he says here. Those that are cowardly, those that are unbelieving, those that are vile, murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, liars, those who live the lifestyle of these practices don't have heaven in store for them. They have the second death in store for them. Now here's what I want to show you, and here's why John is saying it. Because John's writing to the first century church under severe persecution, and he's saying this, don't switch teams. Stay on Jesus' side, because if you switch teams, you're a coward. And if you think immorality and idolatry is more important than serving the king, you're going to face the consequences of that. Last, last Saturday, Clemson, football, the Clemson Tigers, and uh, I hate to mention the Clemson Tigers in church in a good way. Your daughter-in-law went to Clemson back there. Yeah, okay, that's for you uh, back there. Tell her I said Clemson in a nice way. Uh, it might not be her fault she went there. I don't know. I don't know if it was her choice or not, but anyway, they beat a team 73 to something. It was a lot to a very little, and it was ugly. And, and they probably could have scored 100 
Because a lot of times these big schools, they pull back when they've, you know, they probably could have scored 100. But here's the one thing I didn't hear is I didn't hear one player on the other team take off his jersey and switch teams. Because that would be the coward's way out. And if I can be honest with you, though, in 30 years of ministry, I have seen many people when things got tough and the game was rough and there were things they couldn't understand, they took the jersey off and they went and played for the other team. Can I tell you something? This is as simple as I can put it. Don't do that. No matter how bad the game seems, we win because Jesus has won. Don't be a coward and give up. Don't love your sin more than you love Jesus. Don't switch teams. That's focusing too much on earth and not as much on heaven. That's why we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about heaven because I want you to see that whatever you're going through now pales in comparison to what our God has in store for us for all eternity. Glory to God. Don't switch teams, please. Please don't switch teams. Please don't give up. Please keep going. Maybe this is too simplistic, but I'm thinking if a player from the other team that was getting, you know, shellacked in this game went to the coach and said, I'm, tr I'm thinking of switching teams. I think the coach would have said, first of all, don't do that. That would be the worst decision of your life. But I'm sure I'm going to do it. Then you know what I think the coach would say? If that's what you want to do, then do it. But be aware of the consequences. God will do everything in his omnipotence to keep you on his team. But he won't force you to make any decision that you don't want to make. Stay on Jesus' team no matter what. Because heaven is worth it. Heaven is worth it. Okay, lastly. The present creation will be transformed into a new heaven and a new earth. Yay. Yay. No more earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, storms. No more uh, whatever, the, the earth brokenness and all of that. It's going to be new. God will one day live with us and we will live with him for all eternity and his presence will be everything we need to sustain us. Wow. We won't have a need. He'll meet everything as a father that just owns everything. <laughs> it's a glorious new creation because it's without sin and its painful consequences. The reality is whatever problem or pain you're experiencing right now, it's because of sin. Now, I don't mean direct cause and effect sin. Sometimes the harvest that we're reaping now is a result of our decisions. I get that. But even that won't be in heaven. But a, a lot of the problems and pain that we're facing is because this earth is broken because of sin. So all of the problems that you're facing today won't be there forever. They won't last forever because sin will be no more. This earth will be no more. He's ushering in a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. But only those who overcome will inherit this new creation. 
Don't give up. Don't quit. Heaven is for the conquerors and not the cowards. Christianity is not for cowards who quit and run to the other side, but it's for those that stay on Jesus' team knowing in the end we win because Jesus has won on the cross and he will win for all eternity. Heaven is worth it. Lastly, take your eyes off of earth. Put your eyes on heaven and it will change everything in your life. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.